1: No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.
2: Just a quick note before we get started that this is a fast-moving news story, so some things might have changed by the time you listen. Okay, here's the show.
1: Hey, Portland, one, Alaska, 1282. Emergency aircraft are now leveling 12,000 and a left turn heading 340.
2: You probably know the flight number, Alaska Airlines, 1282 by now. That's the voice of one of the pilots talking to air traffic control. This recording is from last Friday night. Shortly after takeoff from Portland, Oregon, a plug door, or plug exit, on the Boeing 737 MAX 9 jet blew out, causing an uncontrolled decompression of the plane.
1: Emergency or need a return yes, we are emergency. We are depressurized. We do need to return back to. We have 177 passengers. of 188.
2: In the cabin, it was loud and windy. People on the plane were confused about what was happening. Passenger Kelly Bartlett told Portland's ABC news station that suddenly a shirtless teenager appeared in the seat next to her. She looked around, not realizing a piece of fuselage was gone. So at first I thought it was just the window, and then I realized it was the whole panel and that the kid who was sitting in that row, like his seatbelt had saved his life because... The 15-year-old had been sitting one row ahead of where the panel blew out. His mother told the Seattle Times that she held on tightly to her son as the force of the air tore his shirt off. Eventually, she was able to move him to the seat next to Bartlett, and the plane descended. As the story broke, John Ostrower knew that what happened to Alaska 1282 was the start of something bigger.
0: Having covered air safety for the last 15 plus years, there are certain sort of emotional markers that sort of tip you off right off the bat.
2: John is the editor-in-chief of the website The Air Current, and one of the best aviation journalists in the country.
0: And I said to someone very soon after it happened, I said, this is the kind of stuff that grounds airplanes. And so here we are.
2: How quickly did the people you talked to tell you that it wasn't just this one plane with this one plug exit issue?
0: Stuff like this doesn't happen on new airplanes. And so it became immediately clear that we were going to have to start looking at what was going on in the context of this airplane being assembled, when it came off the line.
2: Because it was so new.
0: Because it was so new, exactly. And the newness of it is is probably the single biggest clue. Because this doesn't happen in new airplanes.
2: This plane was just a few months old, and the airline had only put it into service in November. But it's also part of a family of airplanes with a tragic history. In 2018 and 2019, Two Boeing 737 MAX 8 jets crashed just after takeoff, killing 346 people. All Boeing MAX jets were grounded. The planes only returned to service after Boeing repaired the flight control system that was blamed for the crashes, changed its operating manuals, and increased pilot training. Because it's Boeing, because it is a MAX aircraft, was there some awful element in the back of your mind, like, oh, my God, here we go again?
0: Absolutely. I was there when the MAX was born. It was it was a rather hasty decision, under pressure, where Boeing had to decide to, to proceed with this. So I've watched the arc of this airplane over this entire period, or you know, coming up on almost 13 years now. And so at every step of the way, it has not been a smooth path by, by any stretch of the imagination, absent all of these tragedies and these accidents. So when you start looking at both the context of how Boeing and its suppliers and their suppliers, and how Boeing has conducted itself over these last many years, you start to use that as informed context for what to look at as a journalist in terms of what has come before, what do we know, and how does that allow us to tell our readers and do our reporting in a way that actually adds light rather than heat to covering uh, an air safety investigation.
2: And it sounds like you knew pretty quickly that there was gonna be more to this story. Yeah. Now, accident investigators are hard at work. The Federal Aviation Administration has grounded the MAX 9, saying Thursday, quote, only the safety of the flying public will determine when the plane returns to service. Today on the show, what happened? In the factory, in the air, and in Boeing's boardroom to reach this critical point? I'm Lizzie O'Leary, and you're listening to What Next TBD, a show about technology, power, and how the future will be determined. Stick around.
0: A
2: lot of people might just be hearing about the 737 MAX 9 for the first time this week. So before we get too deep into this, could you just, like, introduce me to this aircraft? What does it do? How widely is it used? Like, what is this plane?
0: Yeah, so the 737 MAX is made up of five different airplanes. The first one uh, flew for the first time in 2016. It's called the MAX 8. It's the lead-off and most popular version of the airplane. Boeing followed with the MAX 9, which is a stretched version. So when I say stretched, we mean the fuselage is longer. So there are more passengers that can sit in the cabin. The, the airplane is more or less, with some important modifications for efficiency, like the engines and some tail cone structure and some other, other pieces in the cockpit, is effectively a carbon copy of what was an earlier generation airplane from Boeing called the 737-900ER. that's where the nine comes from. And so Boeing followed on again after that with another model for Ryanair to fit a whole heck of a lot of people in a small tube. And there are two other models that are still pending uh, FAA certification, which remains a gigantic question as to whether or not this whole incident is going to affect their arrival.
2: The piece that so much of the reporting of this story is focused on and that blew explosively out of Alaska 1282 is Alternately called a door plug, a plug door, a plug exit. Um, it, that's not a very helpful description if you are not someone who spends a lot of time around aircraft, especially when they are being assembled. So, in the most plain English, what is this thing?
0: So, a plug exit is literally a piece of airplane structure that fits into effectively a, a large open door frame on the side of the airplane. In the sort of the back half of the fuselage. So what is the purpose of this? If you're Alaska Airlines, you want to fly 178 people from JFK to Seattle, you don't need that plug door to be an emergency exit. If you go above 189 seats per the regulations, that door needs to actually be an exit that can be operated by either passengers or flight attendants in the, in the case of an emergency. So what airlines like United and Alaska have done is they've had the plug option. And so on one side, it looks like a door where you can kind of see a faint cutout in the metal. It's got a regular window. But on the opposite side, passengers have no awareness of it being there. By design, Mm. pretty much. it It is intended to be just a blank part of the cabin where you just have a sidewall and a window.
2: John says a lot of this investigation will be focused on the plane's manufacturing. While it is a Boeing jet, the plane's fuselage was made by Spirit Aerosystems. Spirit used to be a part of Boeing, but it was spun off back in 2005. The company makes about 70% of every 737 aircraft and occupies a sprawling factory in Wichita with a pretty storied history.
0: This is where the U.S. built B-29s and B-17s during World War II. Same building. And it's been repurposed. uh, swords into plowshares for commercial aircraft and has been an integral part of every single airplane that Boeing has done throughout its history. So in 2005, Boeing spun off their Wichita fabrication division and that became Spirit Aerosystems. The thinking around the strategy at that point, why they would do it is because number one, they were trying to raise funds to pay for the the development of the 787 Dreamliner, But also they were adopting a strategy to reduce the amount of assets that the company had on its books while delivering the same number of airplanes. So effectively, you would have a metric called return on net assets, RONA. When you do that, you're outsourcing your costs, but you're also outsourcing your profits as well. So what happens in a relationship where this takes place is that Boeing and Spirit, Spirit was established with... Guaranteed work on the 737, the 747, 57, 67, 777, and 787. So any Boeing program that they had was going to be with them throughout their entire life. Guaranteed work. So Boeing and Spirit are wed for life. Boeing can't do anything without Spirit. Spirit can't survive without Boeing. But the relationship over time has ebbed and it's flowed with genuine vitriol, and lawsuits, and acrimony, and also cooperation, and enthusiasm. It's it's a very troubled marriage with no chance of divorce.
2: Do you think it's it's safe to say that Boeing spun it off in part to have Spirit be an independent supplier from whom it bought stuff, as opposed to having the cost of making things in-house be sitting on its balance sheet?
0: Absolutely. That, yeah that was absolutely core to that as well so in the early 2000s Boeing was responding to its own strategy but also the larger trends within the economy around corporations outsourcing pieces of their of their companies to try and shift those costs so what became integral operations to Boeing and other companies now became vendors that you could buy from and mm. all you had to do was specify, the rate but at which you would want parts from your vendors rather than have to manage the vendor, all of the HR, labor, their own supply chain, all of the complexity that, that comes along with running a, a factory inside of a massive supply chain that you are responsible for. The problem is there's a lot of knowledge, enormous amounts of knowledge that goes into the managing the complexity of something as amazing as a commercial aircraft. I mean, truly, I mean, you're talking about hundreds of thousands of parts in a 737 alone. It goes up you know, at, at a couple, you know, zero on that for for a, a big, wide-body, long-range aircraft. But you're doing this at a rate of, aspirationally, you know, 42, 52, 57, maybe 60 times a month. Wow. So when, just to get, just to what, tell you what that means. So there are 22, 21, 22 manufacturing days in each So if that's the case, then if you're building at a rate of 42 airplanes per month, you are doing two 737s every single day. And that requires just an enormous amount of precision to manage that complexity. And the quality systems that have to be in place, that have to stay solid and robust and demonstrable, right? You got to be able to show that the quality is there, is an art form. It is not something that is a skill that's easily acquired by any manufacturer anywhere. It is hard-won crown jewels and something that is, candidly, a strategic skill of the United States of America.
2: This brings me back to this question about a manufacturing problem. You broke the story that United Airlines, in inspecting its 737 MAX 9 fleet, found loose bolts and other parts on plug exits of at least five aircraft, Doesn't that point to a manufacturing issue?
0: Yes. And at this point, you know, sitting here, you know, we're we're almost a week after the accident happened. And that's where everyone's focusing. That's where Boeing is focusing. That's where Spirit is focusing. That's where the NTSB and the FAA are focusing their attention here. And what has gone on in those factories is going to be central to answering what happened to this Alaska flight. But more importantly, the questions that that come off of this are not just about solving this discrete problem and loose bolts in a in a door plug fundamentally this is about asking the questions about whether or not boeing's strategy and how it has conducted itself over the last 20 plus years is producing the results it wants and by all accounts and the conversations that i've had with both executives past and present both at boeing's most important customers suppliers stakeholders. No, it's not. They are getting the opposite results of what they want, given the tumult and the instability that continues to absolutely ravage this company.
2: Just before we sat down to talk, you broke another story that the undamaged plug door, the one opposite from the one that blew out on the Alaska plane, had its fasteners tightened during assembly at Boeing. So after it had left Spirit. Can, Can you Explain the significance of what that means.
0: Yeah. So during the manufacturing process, there are multiple quality checks. There are quality checks when uh, the fuselage leaves Spirit. And through that process, Boeing goes through uh, both initial and final quality checks. And there were multiple during the the course of this. And when they first got the fuselage, Boeing staff noted that there was a discrepancy. And the discrepancy was that in, in a piece of the structure that surrounds the plug door. so think of the the door frame. Mm-hmm. There is a, a little plate on either side that holds a key piece that, that the door effectively sits on. sorry plug sits on rather. And that plate has four fasteners on each side. And Boeing personnel noted and very crucially tightened six out of those eight total fasteners. So, 75% of the fasteners that were attached to the frame were not properly installed. And I I will just say for for clarity, how loose they were is not 100% clear, but Boeing noted it as a defect that needed to be fixed. And it was. So, what we know for sure, and the importance of what this is, we don't know the direct connection or what effect it had on what happened on the other side of the airplane. But what we do know was that there were discrepant parts that came through Boeing's production system on this particular airplane that required attention. And what happened after that, or whether or not the similar attention was given to the other side, and whether or not in the timing of that isn't clear. But that's what we absolutely know, that attention was paid to the opposite side of the the airplane.
2: This sounds like Boeing knew that something wasn't entirely right and tried to do a fix.
0: No, I don't think that's fair. I, you know, I, I think I think there are there are quality checks that happen in a production system of this level of complexity, right? You're dealing with hundreds of thousands of parts that come in. It's Boeing's job, and also the FAA's job as a as a final clearance on every delivery to make sure that everything meets the proper specification. And right, in, I mean. Look, you're building something as complex as as a commercial aircraft. There are gonna be things that are out of place when you're building. Like that's that's really normal. The question is, what do you do about it? What do you what do you do to mitigate the effect of it? How do you make sure that by the time it gets to hand over to Alaska Airlines, United Airlines, or whomever, it's not there. I mean, think about build like a home renovation. There are just things that that happen during during something as disruptive and complex as that. And you're only doing it one time. But there are little things that say, oh, well, that workmanship isn't quite right. Let's let's go ahead and rework that before we you know send the final payment to the contract, right? It's kind of that same idea. But that's the art in manufacturing. Right? It's 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 seeing defects and making sure that you can tackle them within a system that you've created. The problem is when you have the situation we have now, where you have this accident aboard Alaska, and then you have airlines checking their aircraft, and you have Lose parts that are causing serious consternation both among the flying public, the FAA, and the airlines. That, yes, that is what is absolutely behind this investigation by the FAA.
2: When we come back, Boeing promised soul searching and change back in 2019. So, what happened? On Thursday, the FAA said Boeing may have failed to ensure its completed products conform to its approved design and were in a condition for safe operation. Um, Can you translate that for me?
0: That thing is is worried Boeing dropped the ball on making sure that the quality that its customers and its regulator expects, i.e. it meets the design specification, they didn't do that. That's what they're worried about. And that created a situation where airplanes that are unsafe are being delivered to customers.
2: There are so many different threads to this story, but it is impossible to talk about the Boeing 737 MAX and not think about those two crashes of MAX 8 planes that killed 346 people in 2018 and 2019. And I I don't want to conflate something that shouldn't be conflated, but it does make me wonder, and I think makes the flying public wonder if this is part of a larger question about Boeing.
0: The end result of that Alaska flight was luck. You can safely call it a miracle. Hmm. No one lost their life.
2: They were only at 16,000 feet.
0: Only at 16,000 feet. By some incredible coincidence, there was no one in those two seats at the window in the aisle. It could have been very, very significantly worse. It is, like one senior airline exec effectively say to me, just sheer luck that that door didn't come off and hit the vertical or horizontal stabilizer of the airplane, which potentially would have caused a loss of control. Luck. This is just, it is, that's the only way it can be described at this point. So the outcome is a grounded 737 Max 9 fleet with this particular configuration, this, this plug door. But I think it's really important to look at the kind of the wider span of history on this one. I mean, we, we talked a lot about the the DC 10 grounding, the McDonnell Douglas DC 10 grounding.
1: Chicago's International O'Hare Airport, May the 25th, 1979, and America's worst air disaster.
2: Back in 1979, American Airlines Flight 191 crashed shortly after takeoff from Chicago when its left engine, detached from the wing, tore through its hydraulic lines and ripped off its electrical generator.
1: Engine, And after climbing out of control for a few crazy seconds, it plunged back to the ground, exploding in flames. There was no chance of anyone surviving.
2: All 271 people on board were killed, as well as two people on the ground. The FAA grounded all DC-10s, and attention focused on the plane's design and certification. Investigators later concluded that a number of factors, including a faulty maintenance procedure, led to the crash. But the DC-10 struggled to shake its damaged reputation.
0: And so the New York Times, in May of 1980, so this is about a year after, that airplane was grounded after an awful fatal crash in Chicago. Talked about the idea of Banquo's ghost haunting McDonnell Douglas. There was a pall over the airplane that that people really hadn't gotten comfortable with the idea of coming back into service. And it's important to note that Boeing has had the same situation. It wasn't going necessarily going to be the the reputational question of Boeing and the and the Max in terms of all of the intense work Boeing and the FAA and European regulators and other regulators around the world did to get that airplane to a point where they believe it is safe for operation after the grounding. Like that is a, that is a a contained moment in a lot of respects. But the return to service and the risk and I, and I remember saying it and we wrote it at the time that the risk to the MAX was not just this grounding and the return to service.
2: After the 2018 2019 crashes?
0: Exactly, yeah. 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 But the risk of something else happening that people may not have a detailed memory of precisely what happened in those crashes. But you have an emotional memory that is stirred. And that's what this has done. And Boeing is fully aware of that. And the airlines are fully aware of that. And there are things commercially that are working in in Boeing's favor that will strongly suggest that this is going to be a blip along the the road of of this airplane. However, I think it again comes back to the earlier question of is Boeing's strategy producing the results that it wants? Are its suppliers able to build its airplanes with the quality that it expects? Are its staff set up for maintaining a quality product? Are its agreements with suppliers incentivizing the right things? Are its agreements and contracts with its executives incentivizing the right things? And so when you look at the performance of, of, of Boeing, and by the way, it's not just the this latest situation with the MAX. Their defense business is extremely troubled. They've had issues across numerous programs that have ranged from very expensive to astronomically expensive <laughs> in terms of fixing, in terms of its, its reputation in, in Washington uh, and with its customers. So clearly something is wrong here. And that is not just a question, how do you get to solving this particular situation, this plug door, making sure the quality is what you expect of it, but how Boeing moves forward through the rest of the decade and beyond as an enterprise. And that's going to be the fundamental question coming out of this that stretches way beyond just the plug door.
2: But what's so striking is that we have been here before, right? There were congressional hearings, Boeing got a new CEO, the whole thing was, we are going to move on from this troubled period, and yet here we are in another troubled period.
0: Yeah, it's not working. And that is going to be the soul-searching, the real, genuine soul-searching, not the press release sort of talking point soul-searching that we've seen a lot of. There have been changes inside Boeing, don't get me wrong. There's a you know chief safety officer. There are there's a reorganizations for for the engineering organization, too, in terms of how they report through the safety organization. But those are tactical changes. Fundamentally, Boeing's strategy has not changed in mm-hmm. the last 20-plus years in terms of how it works with suppliers, how it works with airlines, how it works with government, how it works with labor. And that is the place that Boeing has to be looking about how it repairs Not just its reputation with the public, but its own universe of stakeholders that rely on it to be healthy and deliver a safe product.
2: Yesterday, I was listening to a podcast that is hosted by two former air accident investigators who also were, you know, maintenance guys back in the day. And and one of their theories was the gray hairs are gone. That the kind of quality control that might have been a part of a company like Boeing, either in a different manufacturing era or before the furloughing and massive changes brought on by the pandemic, is no longer there. I'm curious what you make of that.
0: It's an ageist fallacy. Huh. If you're going to be a commercial aircraft manufacturer... Or going to be you're going to manufacture anything that 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 relies on people being safe with the products that you're putting out in the world. The demographic makeup of your staff does not matter. You either have the knowledge and you do it to the specification that it is designed to and the expectations that you have, or you don't. Or you slow down to make sure you do. So I don't buy that. Hmm. It, has there been a departure of more experienced engineers and uh, manufacturing staff at Boeing and other aerospace manufacturers because of both the pandemic and just the natural demographics of of the group. Yeah, absolutely. But if that's the case, then you need to take the right steps to ensure that this doesn't happen. And maybe if you have a bum knee, you shouldn't go run a marathon.
2: This investigation is ongoing and the NTSB is meticulous um, but there are a couple things you know the the chair mentioned that the cockpit voice recording was overwritten which may hamper the investigation. I, I wonder what you make of that
0: So the NTSB for a really really long time has wanted the. US standard for cockpit voice recorders to stretch beyond two hours and it was 30 minutes before and it changed a while ago. Europe has 25 hours for theirs. And the FAA is working on a rule right now to actually adopt a 25-hour standard, but only for new aircraft past a certain point. And so what it tells us at this point is that given, you know, let's go back to our last conversation about the air traffic control system and, and the incidents that were happening uh, around the country that were increasingly alarming about, yep. about about you know is the system ready to to handle the volume that it is and in a lot of those cases the cockpit voice recorder was recorded over because just just through the natural time that
2: yeah but this is not nefarious this is just kind of what happened
0: exactly and so you know it, it, it's going to be a missing piece of the puzzle that will be forever lost in the investigation and and, and something that that the u.S, I think Congress is going to be looking at with greater interest in, in the weeks to come. But look, I, I think that there are there are still uh, still a long way to go before the existing fleet gets gets that in the U.S. But it would be a major step forward in, in air safety if
2: if it was done. Right now, we are in a moment where you know headlines around this investigation are, are coming fast and furious, um, and around this fleet, but. I think people want to know, um, can I get on this airplane or not? Is it safe to fly?
0: We've put our trust in institutions, right? we put our trust in Boeing and the FAA and, and the airlines to say, yes, it is. And the flying public should expect nothing less from this investigation, just as they expected the same in the last one. Right now, I can't answer that because you have a grounded airplane, which, yeah. which the FAA says, today is not ready to go back into service. But I think it, again, is a test for the the institutions that we all rely on. And so that's the center point to all of this, is do these pillars of America and what it has created over the last 200 plus years, does it hold up to protect its citizens and ultimately the flying public, not just in this country, but around the world? That's what we're counting on.
2: John Ostrower, thank you so much for coming on. My pleasure. John Ostrower is editor-in-chief of The Air Current. His coverage of this incident has been excellent, and you should check it out. And that is it for our show today. What Next TBD is produced by Evan Campbell, Anna Phillips, and Patrick Ford. Our show is edited by Mia Armstrong-Lopez. Alicia Montgomery is vice president of audio for Slate. TBD is part of the larger What Next family, and we're also part of Future Tense, a partnership of Slate, Arizona State University, and New America. And if you like what we're doing here, the best way to support us is to join Slate Plus. Just head on over to slate.com slash whatnextplus to sign up. All right, we will be back on Sunday with another episode. I'm Lizzie O'Leary. Thanks for listening.